Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Poisoner's Cabinet Expert Witness, a new bonus episode for your lovely ears to enjoy. These are special episodes that allow us to delve a little more deeply into poison itself and the mechanics of the poisoning world with the help of a special guest. Yes, Dee, we have a fantastic special guest on today, so huge thank you for for joining us. Um, We generally witter on and pretend we know what we're talking about but today we truly do have someone who knows exactly what they're talking about and it's going to put us all to shame greatly looking forward to having a a chat um, and learning some fantastic and really interesting things and it's always nice for someone else to sort of put things into perspective because quite literally we do this so we can drink and talk about poison (laughs) and uh, go down strange alleyways of, of of conjecture i'm so excited for our guest today uh we have dr Mm. Catherine Harker, author, chemist and science communicator. Hello, Catherine. Hello. I'm slightly worried about this build-up now. <laughs> <laughs> do we, we do it to everyone. You should you should hear how oh, we okay. build each other up each week. Could we have a little asterisk after it and just a disclaimer at the bottom, please? <laughs> well, I think this one is well-deserved, seeing as you actually have written books. <laughs> okay. we, we did not. We pressed play on Audacity and this is, this is what we're doing. How are okay. you, Catherine? I'm fine. I'm fine. Yes. Thank you for inviting me on. Pleasure. How is um, lockdown treating you? It's something we're asking all our guests at the moment. Um, it's treating me extremely well, actually. For someone who spends most of their time in front of a computer just writing and reading, this this is like, you know, I can do this and be, you know, potentially saving lives. I feel like a hero for <laughs> doing my normal thing. <laughs> Um, so, I, you know, I'm absolutely fine and extremely grateful that I have a job that I can continue to do at home. I really is. I realise it's a lot uh, different for many other people out there. Absolutely. Well, no, it's great that you're here and that you're having fun and that you're not. If you, if you came on and you were terribly depressed and sad, then this would be quite a, a miserable episode. So, so it's good that you're good. Yes, yes, I am good. I hope that you, you are also sounding good. So everyone is good. Everyone is well. <laughs> everyone is, everyone is absolutely fine. Catherine, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm sure you've listened to all of our episodes before, and you, as you probably know, we we generally have a little a little cocktail or something to something to keep us going during the episode. Do you have any cocktails of preference that you that you enjoy? So I occasionally give talks on cocktails and some of the potentially poisonous ingredients that are contained within them but I have to say um, what I usually confess at the end of giving this uh, talk this event is that I'm teetotal 
Alcohol, the greatest poison of yeah, them all. No, I, I have absolutely no preference for uh, cocktails. <laughs> this, this is a, a talk I really want to hear. <laughs> it's one of, the, one of the many reasons we have you on, actually. It's just, just... It's, it covers everything. It's the perfect guest. And also, you give me ideas. so it would... <laughs> No problem. Well, uh, Nick, what are you drinking today? I've got a very exciting cup of tea on the go. Oh, that's good. <laughs> I, I have a coffee with with two different kinds of liqueurs in it because it's Sunday. It's not well, good. No, I can I can imagine. It's not going to be. I'm, I'm still going to drink it. I'm just you know it's caffeine. It's important. But back to Catherine. Um, also the author of one of my favourite poisoning books, a resource that I use a lot for the show. A is for arsenic. So Catherine, um, your CV is amazing. Um, but tell us in your own words about what you do. Um, oh, I suppose I read and write and talk about the gorier and gruesome side of science. So anything from killing people to digging up dead bodies, really. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's basically my, my day job, I, I am delighted to say. <laughs> that's an excellent day job. <laughs> yeah, as opposed to my night job, <laughs> which is way worse. <laughs> but your background is, and you are a, a doctor and you are a, a chemist. Yes, I, I studied chemistry at university for far too long, really, and got interested in, well, as part of my research, I used quite a lot of quite dangerous chemicals, but I learned to use them safely. And you start to wonder, why does that thing over there kill me in tiny, tiny amounts, whereas this other thing I could eat spoonfuls of and it wouldn't make any difference? And I started to wonder, <laughs> why... You know, how can something so small and seemingly innocuous do so much damage to a person? So you, you start getting interested in these things. That that's that paints quite a picture of you, actually, at university, so with the clope and sort of like laughing over a test tube about <laughs> the power in my hands. There, there was a fair amount of kind of like dry ice and, and um, <laughs> you know, cream vapours and stuff emanating out of my fume hood. Um, I used these compounds that are best described as the stinkiest things you will ever encounter. So about for four years of my life, I was known as Smelly Cat. Um, Yeah, it's quite a traumatic time. I got a lot out of it. So the reason I came to know of you is that I attended one of your talks at the Canterbury Festival um, a couple of years back, I think. And you were doing a present, yeah, a presentation on A is for Arsenic and me and a good friend went along, sort of saw it in the programme. We're looking through all of the uh, the very worthy kind of uh, book talk and everything at the festival and go, oh, you must go along and appreciate the arts. And we saw, oh, poisoning, Agatha Christie, talk on that. (laughs) We are here for it. Sat enraptured listening to you. I love that. There's worthy talks and there's literature. And then there's Catherine over here in the dark corner. In the dark corner where we could all enjoy it, where we're not forcing ourselves to sit and listen and go, okay, yes, Middle of March was a good book, but it's... poisoning that's what we're here for yeah absolutely <laughs> how to kill people it's it's a it's a living <laughs> can i ask was it was it a, a love of agatha christie that drew you towards poisons or the love of poisons that drew you towards agatha christie for your first oh i think the two are so now inextricably linked <laughs> that, um i couldn't possibly uh extricate i read agatha christie when i was a teenager and i i loved them i love reading poirot novels and I watched the TV series, and I always liked chemistry, but I didn't necessarily link the two until 
quite a bit later in my life. And when I just thought, when I had the opportunity to write this book about Agatha Christie and poisons, you realise, oh, I'm going to have to go back and read all of these books. What if they're, you know, what if my teenage self was slightly delusional? <laughs> what if they're not that good? Um, <laughs> I went back and they're brilliant mm-hmm. and they are absolutely jam-packed with poisoning anecdotes and facts and death and murder. And how, uh, how scientifically accurate are they? They are uh, spot on. She's oh, okay. Ag- really? Agatha Christie was amazing. Uh, she is she is head and shoulders above her contemporaries in terms of accuracy. It's claimed that one of her novels the pale horse actually saved two people's lives because they recognized the symptoms of poisoning and were able to intervene and um seek treatment and they survived whoa that is some that is some good knowledge (laughs) yeah it's not a bad claim to fame (laughs) (laughs) i think there's something there's something about the world of agatha christie as well that that keeps drawing people back to them because obviously they are brilliant books and why do you think it's it's those stories that keep people coming back to them rather than maybe some of the more modern tales or the contemporaries as you were saying i think agatha christie um she is a brilliant problem setter I mean, it, it, on the face of it, her books are very, very simple. And when you start off, you think, well, this time, this time I'll guess. Because <laughs> I, I've read several. I know her tricks now. And you know, everything is placed before you so beautifully, so simply. And you still get to the end and you're going back through the book going, no, she must have missed something out. She must have lied at some point. And she doesn't. She is so brilliant at plotting and putting together these puzzles it's like sitting down and doing a crossword puzzle but also you get the glamour of the 1930s world that and even though her books were written in the 50s and the 60s the tv series has absolutely sealed them in that 1930s era so we all have that kind of in our minds i think as we're reading them so all the beautiful cars and the beautiful clothes and by the way there's a few murders Um, which you can try and solve so you know they're just oh they're really good fun nice cozy readings but actually when you think about it it's all rather bleak because you know it's not all cricket greens and um, (laughs) knitting and little old ladies it's cold-blooded murder and quite descriptive I remember when the uh, new Agatha Christie series, the ones at Christmas, when they first started yes. appearing on TV. And everyone said, oh, they're so dark. Why did you make Agatha Christie so dark? <laughs> there was no need to. It was all there in the books. In her books, um, is is there a, a particular poison that, that features more frequently than, than others? Did she have a favourite? She did. Uh, yes, I, I do. For every book I write, I usually end up with a spreadsheet of death at some point <laughs> in the process. Um, That's an excellent term, a spreadsheet of death. That's quite terrifying. It's essential. <laughs> oh, yeah, and Agatha Christie, is, uh, it, it's lengthy. <laughs> and you soon get to tot up how many times she used different poisons. And her favourite was cyanide. Everyone might think it's arsenic, mm. but actually it was cyanide. Mm. Nine different characters are bumped off using cyanide in cigarettes, uh, cocktails, 
all sorts of places. Sometimes you just get the hint of, oh, there's a bit of an almond smell, <laughs> and that's it. So what's so great about cyanide? What drew her to it? What makes cyanide such a great poison? Uh, from, from whose point of view? From uh, <laughs> a killer? <laughs> what makes it such an effective poison? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It is extremely effective, and it's quite quick. So it can all be over in a matter of minutes, so you get people dramatically dropping dead in their dinner. Uh, you know, there's lots of different ways of administering it as a gas, uh, in liquids, in food. Um, and it's one that people sort of know a bit about. So you can drop hints like, oh, there was an almond smell. And people already know, oh, we're talking about cyanide. So you can drop these little clues um, along the way. And it, I don't know, it's got a, a sheen of glamour to it I suppose because you sort of associate it with spies and suicide pills and, and things like that mm. so it's got a, a familiarity that I think a lot of people or a lot of crime, crime writers find useful Do you have a particular favourite poisoning case of Agatha Christie's or one of the stories that sort of stands above any of the others for her use of poison? Oh there are so many um, <laughs> I, there, there really are uh, if you were going to recommend to someone, you know, to, as a starting point for Agatha Christie, just to show her prowess and her knowledge of poison and a, and a great story as well, would, what, what would be a couple you might pick? Oh, OK. So I would always recommend start from the beginning with the mysterious affair at Styles, because she doesn't just use one poison. She, used, she uses three different compounds to kill <laughs> one person. That'll yeah, do it. L- literal overkill. And it's how those three different compounds interact with each other that ends up killing, not only killing this person, but also giving the killer a very handy alibi. So her Ooh. her brilliant knowledge of the effects of different drugs and um, not just the effects on the body and how much could kill, but also how they interact with each other, how you can delay symptoms or mimic symptoms of uh, natural causes, etc. So that's a really good one to start with. In terms of plotting, I would say Five Little Pigs, which is a murder that uses hemlock. Ooh, and that's a good one. it is so brilliantly interwoven into the plot the effects of this poison and how they're misunderstood and the symptoms are taken for drunkenness. And if you know a little bit about hemlock, you can (laughs) kind of figure out what's going on and you can eliminate a few of the suspects. You still won't get the right answer, but you will eliminate one or two of the possibilities as you go along. And it is just geniusly woven into the plot. I was going to ask as well, outside of the the actual fictional stories, it's the kind of the, the background to our show. You know, have you got a particular poisoning case that you really like from history? Which sounds very yeah. dark, uh, but go with me. But what about the influence on Agatha Christie herself? Uh, she was very much using cases from history. She name drops poisoners throughout her novels and a few other mm. killers. So she, as a lot of sort of golden age crime writers did in their books, Sayers and Marsh as well. So she took inspiration from things like the Bravo case. There's a guy who was murdered, but they don't know, still to this day, they don't know who did it. Uh, the, of the two suspects, one of them put antimony in his wine, but they're not sure who. Mm. She also referenced the Seddon case, which is an arsenic case, Madeline Smith, all sorts of cases, but actually one that she didn't reference that I always find really intriguing is Adelaide is it Adelaide Bartlett? Adelaide Bartlett. And the chloroform. Very famous case. Yeah. 
Uh, and there was a brilliant comment by one of the, I think it was the judges or one of the prosecutors after she had been acquitted. And they said, you know, they were utterly convinced that she had did it, they, that she had done it. They just couldn't prove mm. it. And he just asked her, you know, she should at least have the decency to tell us now how she did it because she can't be prosecuted <laughs> again. Um, the woman herself, she she's she's an impressive character. She stood mm. up for herself um, in a way that was not common at the time. Yeah, it's a great one. That's one that's uh, going to be coming up soon on the show. Mm. So an area that I really found interesting from the talk that I heard you give at Canterbury Festival and obviously you cover in A is for Arsenic as well is the prevalence of poison in medicines and cosmetics that are used pretty much by everyone they're in the household now we know that arsenic obviously was used as a a form of rat poison Mm. it was used industrially and we see that in the Victorian era but it's the creeping presence of all of these poisons in tonics that we take and and cosmetics and the and the and things you put on your face literally and i was just fascinated about how that came about and what we've learned from it oh the the list of things that you could find in a victorian home that could kill you is i mean it's long (laughs) it's staggeringly long most of them are arsenic one is your husband obviously yes absolutely or well it was men tended to use antimony women tended to use arsenic Ah. Uh, in their poisoning amongst (laughs) many many other things but there were all sorts of tonics and this strange belief that it was okay to sell it in one in high concentration as rat poison but absolutely fine if you dilute it down a bit and you're you know don't go too ham you can just splash it all over your face and it'll be fine (laughs) it's just extraordinary but then you know has anything really changed uh, you know, today we still have Botox injections, and yet botulinum toxin is the most toxic compound known to man. In appropriate circumstances, all of those things are fine. And me, you know, back when I was in the lab using all of these very dangerous chemicals, it was fine because I knew how to use them properly. I think there was an awful lot of trust or buyer beware or just, well, you know, on your head beer if you use too much back Mm. in the day. Um, But now I think that's very sensibly taken out of our control because not everyone is sensible. Not everyone does know that just because the label says this is a cosmetic and this other label says it's a rat poison, they could actually be the same thing. And maybe (laughs) you should treat them with a bit of caution. So from a modern point of view, it's very, very difficult to understand how it was allowed to happen. I think we've shared on our social media channels the advert for the complexion wafers with arsenic literally being used to to get rid of blemishes and make you re-lovelify your skin. Um, Are Mm -hmm. there any other examples of of tonics back then when you think about in today's medical? What? what, Why? Why were people doing this? One of the most horrifying for me, I think, is uh, strychnine tonics. This was a kind of, it was like the Victorian pet pill. It was quite worrying. They would give this strychnine either in pills or quite often in tonics, so diluted up in water. And it would be given to little old ladies for two reasons, basically. One, it's really, really bitter tasting. So it's supposed to increase your appetite, which is nonsense. (laughs) The (laughs) The other idea 
was that because strychnine invigorates your nerves, it would give you a bit more energy and a bit more get up and go. And yes, strychnine will invigorate your nerves, but not in a good way. And this was just being doled out to people without too much worry. The talk that you saw in Canterbury, I do it quite a lot and in lots of different situations. And the number of times people have come up to me afterwards, little old ladies saying, oh, yes, back when I was a child, I had double pneumonia and they gave me strychnine tonic to recover. What? <laughs> but the yes, still within living memory. But these women, you know, they're, they're doing extremely well for their age. And the fact that they were given strychnine rat poison to help them recover from double pneumonia. It's, it's well, maybe there's something in it. Uh, no, there really isn't anything. Just absolutely horrify the nerves. <laughs> just cheat, just, just, you know, just tempt death. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it is that what doesn't kill you can uh, only make you better <laughs> methodology, which I, of course, do not recommend in any way, shape or form. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> None of that. No experimenting in lockdown, no matter how desperate you are. Do not you go are. through your grandparents' medicine cabinet and go, eh, I wonder if this still works. No. <laughs> do you have a favourite poison, Catherine? Um, okay, uh, it comes with a, a bit of a warning. My favourite poison and my favourite element, because I'm a chemist and I have a favourite element. Of course. And every chemist will have a favourite element <laughs> if you ask them. Um, and if they say any other element other than phosphorus, they are wrong. Because <laughs> phosphorus, <laughs> phosphorus is the best. It's also extraordinarily toxic if you get the right form. And um, white phosphorus, it's particularly nasty. It, it glows in the dark, it catches fire rather easily, and it burns with a very intense flame. It also smells, hence my, um, this is my link back to my PhD days. I worked with a lot of phosphorus compounds, and they do stink. I can testify to that one, personal <laughs> experience. Um, and the absolutely unpleasant but for various reasons again they were used in medicine for an extraordinarily long time to give you a healthy glow i can only assume yeah i think that was essentially the theory it glows in the dark <laughs> it comes from humans because it used to be extracted from urine oh uh, therefore yeah therefore you know what what can go wrong um well so, a lot. it sounds lovely yes it will just burn your insides then it will destroy your liver and uh, you'll die a few days later, quite horribly. Uh, yeah, personally, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend using it. I wouldn't recommend killing people in the first place, but particularly <laughs> don't poison people and don't use phosphorus because it's very, very detectable. It's very, very unpleasant and you will get found out. But phosphorus has all sorts of other, these strange glowing properties that it has, means it's been linked to graveyard ghosts and kind of will-o'-the-wisps and all sorts Ooh. of stories like that. So it's got a fascinating history and lots of other geeky chemical things that appeal to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, phosphorus is my favourite. Um, have there been any real-life cases involving phosphorus oh yes oh oh good always need always looking for research you know any new stories uh, there was a case no i i forget the name of the protagonist but there was a little old lady who advertised for someone to come and basically care for her in her home Aww. and these yeah which is very sweet and these two people turned up <laughs> and they were absolutely horrible to her and they decided that they wanted her money and to get that money as quickly as possible they poisoned her and they used rhodine rat poison the rhodine rat 
Yes, you could buy this up until I think the 1950s, 1960s in the UK. And each tin of Rodine Rat Poison contained about enough white phosphorus to kill about six people. Wow. And you Ooh. could just go yeah, you could just go into a chemist and say, I've got a problem with rats, can I have some rhodine please? And they would just hand the tin over. <laughs> Quite frightening. But anyway, this rhodine stuff kind of a paste and they encouraged you to mix it with something or spread it on bread to encourage the rats to eat it. So you can see how mistakes wow. were made. Oh, well, surely uh, it was glowing or just... <laughs> oh, um, Maybe not. It has, be, it has to be quite dark. I mean, the smell, I would have hoped, would have put people off. But some people say that phosphines or phosphorus compounds smell like garlic, which, I mean, it, it, sort of, but not even close. I mean, it's... It, <laughs> It's like demon garlic. It's the worst. <laughs> it's awful. So trying to palm it off as, yeah, it's garlic butter. That ain't going to wash with anyone. Uh, but somehow these people managed to poison this uh, lady. She died uh, very horribly. Uh, thankfully, they were prosecuted. Well, on a, on a similar vein, um, in all your research, is there a, a case or a, a poison that you've come across that has been so obscure or so strange? That's, that's taken you by surprise that someone tried to use this particular thing um, as a as a as a poison, or is there something entirely really obscure? I think one of the more obscure ones that I came across was physostigmine, which is a really obscure name. Uh, um, it's basically <laughs> the killer bean of Calabar. Wow. Okay. <laughs> this yeah. is a great name. I. It's such a bizarre name, and it's it has so many bizarre stories attached to it so this is a plant that grows uh, native in west africa and there is a region of nigeria old calabar where it grows a lot and it used to be controlled by local chiefs or heads of communities as a system of justice Ooh. and the theory was you took some of these beans and if you were accused of a crime to prove your innocence, you would swallow the bean. And if you lived, you were innocent. And if it killed you, you'd also had your punishment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Fair enough. People would also fight duels with these beans. So they would <laughs> chop the beans in half. And each, you know, so if you had an argument with someone, you know, your honour, sir, you would chop the bean in half and each would swallow half a bean. And whoever died first, um, you know, that was the duel. It's, and I, I promise you, I am not making this up. That's brilliant. That's, that's a rubbish duel. That's that's not good. That's, yeah. That doesn't sort of have the the romanticism of people meeting pistols at dawn. No, we shall split this bean between us. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it's less. It wouldn't make a good dramatic moment in a play or a, no. a, a film. Oh, we could no, write it. it. We could it, write it. We, we're putting it in there. <laughs> Brilliant. I love that. I'm going to I'm going to do, I'm going to do some more research on that. I love the killer bean of Calabar. That's fantastic. <laughs> love it. So, Catherine, you have uh, your latest book that has come out um, as soon as I saw the title uh, me and Nick were like yes because we're both thespians uh, in our own way having appeared in many a Shakespeare production and your new book is Death by Shakespeare yes all the ways to die in a Shakespeare play I think I've covered them all <laughs> I certainly tried there's another spreadsheet of death situation oh yes yes Shakespeare Shakespearean sheds spreadsheet of death what was the... Oh, my God, that's a tongue twister. Yeah. <laughs> Shakespeare's... Yeah, they were right, actually. Say that after, after a few um, hard coffees. 
So what led you to, to decide to cover Shakespeare? Well, I was giving a talk in a school because it's not just adults that want to hear how to kill people, it, it's kids as well. So I, I was went into this school and I was talking about poisons and murder and afterwards I was chatting to the school head and he said, oh, have you seen this pie chart? You'll love this. And it was a pie chart of all the ways to die in a Shakespeare play. And it had been divided up, you know, mostly stabbing, a few <laughs> poisonings, bits and pieces. And he says, you should write a book about that. And I thought, you know what, maybe I should. <laughs> so uh, so I, I did. I, um, I went away, I read the complete works and thought, yep, there's plenty of material there. So, how, how many um, ways can you die? by Shakespeare I'm well I mean do you distinguish between stabbed in a duel and stabbed you know in your bed at night and stabbed in battle so there's lots of different ways to to slice this but there are dozens of different ways uh, let's go with that dozens I wouldn't want to be too precise we encourage everyone who's listening buy the book buy all of Catherine's books obviously I can't wait to read it what about a great poisoning case that inspired Shakespeare so we've got I think the, the one of the, the thoughts that leapt to mind was uh, obviously Cleopatra. Oh, yeah. In the yeah. play, obviously, she is she commits suicide when she killed herself with a bite of an asp. But um, she, did, she did a lot of experimenting mm-hmm. before that, actually, in real life, as legend has it. Yeah, she was a very scientific lady. Uh, she When she decided that she was going to kill herself, the story is she wanted two things. She wanted a painless death, Mm. which is fair enough, Mm -hmm. wouldn't we all? And she wanted to make an attractive corpse, which is fair (laughs) enough. Absolutely. So so in order to find out more about which poisons might meet her very stringent criteria, she lined up all of her prisoners who had been condemned to death and she tested different poisons on them and watched the results. (laughs) Um, it's efficient. I mean, it's efficient. There's a scientific mm-hmm. method there. I, the ethics Some are something else. Yes. <laughs> yes, but from a scientific point of view, I mean, it, it has. It, it's not unreasonable. Uh, yeah, so she set up all of these trials and she tested different snake bites and various mineral poisons. And for some reason, she decided that the bite of an asp was the way to go. But I am delighted to say that if she did choose that, because there, there's some doubt in the history, if she did choose that, uh, the bite of an asp will hurt like hell. <laughs> and she would have needed some cosmetic touches afterwards because she uh. would not have looked pretty. Um, <laughs> but so... she had her own spreadsheet of death in hieroglyphs and just on the wall. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, her methodology might have been sound, but her conclusions were woeful. So... Um... <laughs> Amazing. Is is there one Shakespeare play that features a more poison than than most? I think Hamlet springs to mind. Yeah, Hamlet. <laughs> um, three different poisons, five deaths, something like that. Did, did Shakespeare ever specify? I'm trying to remember my Hamlet here, but does he specify what kind of poison it is? Because it always feels like in the plays, I go, "Here is this poison that will do all these amazing things," but it's very generically named. Ah, it's one of those rare occasions where he does. He specifies one of the three, and that's the ah. juice of heaven, hebanon, that is squeezed into old Hamlet's ear. Again, I mean, if you're thinking of poisoning someone, obviously don't, but definitely don't use the ear. I was going to ask, is that a a valid administration of poison? No, no, it's a terrible terrible way to do it. 
<laughs> Most poisons are <laughs> swallowed, inhaled. Some of them are absorbed through the skin. But actually, your ear... I mean, for a start, it's got wax in it to protect the ear and it's got very few (laughs) blood vessels to actually carry the poison to the rest of the body. So old Hamlet was extremely unlucky. He should have done his research. Should have done. Should have read your book. Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Catherine, do you have, obviously you've said that you're teetotal, do you have have a favourite non-alcoholic cocktail that you like to enjoy while researching? Oh, I have to say, um, the the word teetotal was made for me. I can consume <laughs> litres of the stuff. <laughs> so, and to, to take it away from me is, is a crime, and you will probably suffer for it. So I, I, am, I am fully addicted to tea. I, I start out my day with, I have this wonderful teapot that's about the size of a football, and I fill it up first thing in the morning, and I slowly drain it over the morning and then wonder why I'm twitching around lunchtime. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Catherine, um, it's such a delight to speak to you. Uh, if you want to read any of my books, they are available in all good bookstores online and you know some less well-known bookstores as well. Uh, just look on the Bloomsbury website. Um, I have my own website, harkup.co.uk. You can find me on uh, Twitter, with the handle Rotwang's Robot, long story, don't ask, <laughs> where I mostly tweet about Chilean vampire telenovelas, also a long story, don't ask. See, I, I, don't, I don't tweet, but I'm going to now, because I'm desperately <laughs> intrigued by this. <laughs> well, I was going to mention on your Twitter handle, it's great where you say chemist, author and vampirologist. Yeah, that's the next book, Vampirology. Fantastic. Look forward to reading it. Um, thank you so much for your time today, Catherine. Absolute pleasure to speak to you. Fascinating. Thank you very much. And we hope you stay safe. Or do. Do you stay too. safe. <laughs> thank you to all of our lovely listeners. We will put the details of Catherine's handles and all of her books in the info for this episode. Um, but otherwise, join us again another time for another expert witness. And we'll see you for our next episode. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>